What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Apparently it explodes. Thank you, Langston Hughes. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, on Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR, down in New Orleans, on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. In New Hampshire, in Concord, on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Yes, before we get up to uh, what the folks in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the Twin Cities areas have been dealing with for days now, a very quick reminder uh, of what I had hoped to talk a little bit more about today. Uh, June 2nd, that is next Tuesday, we will have primary elections in Indiana, Maryland, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Dakota, and Washington, D.C. Here is your reminder. Don't forget to vote if you've got an absentee ballot sitting around your house. Now is a good time to try to deliver it to your uh, county headquarters before Tuesday's uh, big election that I hope you will take part in safely. We have got a lot of still breaking news today, however, uh, ongoing as we go to air after a night of unrest and protests in Minneapolis and St. Paul in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, who died on Monday after a Minneapolis police officer took a knee on Floyd's neck after the unarmed 46-year-old uh, security guard allegedly passed a counterfeit bill. According to uh, the police report in any event, he was unarmed. The protests in the Twin Cities were not the only ones on Thursday night and Friday morning, as similar protests for the killing of Floyd and other Americans, uh, African-Americans killed at the hands of police were seen in a number of states, including in Kentucky, where a 26-year-old emergency medical technician was killed by police in Louisville in her own apartment. 
in the middle of the night by police just a few weeks ago. Those protests in support of justice for Breonna Taylor took a bizarre twist on Thursday as seven protesters were shot with one of them said uh, now to be in critical condition as we go to air. We will be joined shortly by Mike Breuer. He is running for the uh, Democratic U.S. Senate nomination in the Bluegrass State's June 23rd primary, hoping to take on Republican Mitch McConnell this November. We will get the latest on the Louisville situation from Breuer and other related news from Kentucky. There has been a lot of it this week. And we'll also speak to him about his race for the nomination against reported frontrunner Amy McGrath. But first, as we go to air today, within the past hour, the police officer seen on video kneeling on the neck of George Floyd, the handcuffed black man who died in custody after pleading that he could not breathe, that officer was finally arrested on Friday, charged with murder in a case that has sparked protests across the country and violence in Minneapolis. Officer Derek Chauvin was charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. The uh, uh, county attorney says that there could be more charges coming. In uh, the video that I suspect most have seen by now, Chauvin is seen kneeling on Floyd's neck as Floyd is on the ground pleading for his life, pleading for help, saying over and over again that he cannot breathe. He gradually becomes motionless as uh, Chauvin and three other officers ignore the request from bystanders to get off of him. The prosecutor said the investigation continues into the other three officers at this hour, but that authorities, quote, felt it appropriate to focus on the most dangerous perpetrator, unquote. Protests in Minneapolis escalated in violence on Thursday night when demonstrators torched a police station that officers had abandoned. All four officers who were at the scene of Floyd's death were fired the next day after his killing. After the charges were announced, protesters outside the government center on Friday chanted, quote, all four got to go. News of the arrest came moments after Minnesota's Democratic Governor Tim Walz announced the, quote, abject failure of the response to the protests and called for swift justice for the officers involved. Waltz said the state would take over the response to the violence and that it is time to show some respect and dignity to those who are suffering. This has obviously been the, the most difficult week in Minnesota in recent history and and maybe in our entire history, our community, especially our back community, is hurting beyond words. Minneapolis and St. Paul are on fire. The fires still smolder in our streets. The ashes are symbolic of uh, decades and generations of, of pain, of anguish, unheard. Much like we failed to hear, George Floyd, as he pleaded for his life as the world watched, by people sworn to protect him, his community, our state, Philando Castillo, silenced, unheard, so many other friends, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, senselessly died in our street. Their voices went unheard, and now generations of pain is manifesting itself in front of the world. And the world is watching. 
The world is watching. That was Minnesota Governor Tim Walz. By uh, Friday morning, nearly every building in the shopping district around the abandoned and now burned police station had been vandalized or burned. National Guard members were now in the area, several of them lined up, keeping people away from the police station. Dozens of volunteers swept up broken glass in the street on Friday, doing whatever they could to help. Dozens of fires were also set in nearby St. Paul, where nearly 200 businesses were damaged. Protests spread across the U.S., fueled by outrage over Floyd's death and years of violence against African-Americans at the hands of police. The president of the United States, as usual, made things worse, not better, threatening to bring Minneapolis, quote, under control, calling the protesters thugs and tweeting that when the looting starts, the shooting starts. The the, uh, tweet drew another warning from Twitter, which said that the comment violated the platform's rules for glorifying violence. It was placed... The tweet was uh, placed behind a, uh, a, a warning label that users had to click through in order to see it, which noted that the tweet had violated Twitter rules, but that, uh, quote, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. So it was not removed from the site. That tweet reads in full, quote, these thugs, Again, all caps are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control. But he added, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Well, those words from our racist president, when the shooting starts, the, sh- the when the looting starts, the shooting starts come with a very racist and bloody background in the U.S., as TPM's Matt Schumann uh, reports today. In a uh, statement, Twitter confirmed that the specific violation had to do, in fact, with, quote, the historical context of the last line in that tweet and its connection to violence and the risk that it could inspire similar actions today. The phrase comes from a December 1967 press conference held by then Miami Police Chief Walter Headley, in which the chief declared a, quote, get tough policy and a, quote, war on crime in black neighborhoods in Miami. Or as Headley was uh, quoted in news reports at the time, quote, young hoodlums from 15 to 21 who have taken advantage of the civil rights campaign. He said, we don't mind being accused of police brutality. They haven't seen anything yet, he said. The chief added that Miami hadn't had a, quote, serious problem with civil uprising and looting because I've let the word filter down that when the looting starts... The shooting starts. Headley said at that uh, 1967 press conference that patrols in black neighborhoods would be armed with shotguns and police dogs. The chief was known for his aggressive stop and frisk policy, which often escalated police encounters. In February of 1968, for example, police suspected a teenager had carried a concealed knife into a pool hall. The Washington Post detailed what happened next. The police officers dangled the teen by his feet over a bridge 100 feet above the Miami River. 
The Post noted a report from the National Commission on the Causes and Prevention of Violence that was published following uh, in the following year in 1969. It said that the policies had left the black community in Miami, quote, in a state of continued agitation from December of 1967 to August 68. It read, during these eight months, the implementation of the get tough policy, the frequent display of shotguns and dogs by Miami police in black neighborhoods and the aggressive use of the Miami stop and frisk law resulted in frequent confrontations and growing tension between members of the black community and the Miami police. Word spread through the black community that the police were regularly hailing black males on the street, addressing them as boy or using the N word and requesting identification and disclosure of the purpose of their being wherever they were. Patrols with shotguns and dogs regularly entered predominantly black clubs and bars and demanded ID and purpose of presence from all patrons. And so you wonder why 50 years later, similar stop and frisk policies by, for example, New York's Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Michael Bloomberg were so offensive to so many. If you didn't know, now you do. You wonder why so many around the country are so enraged today about what continues to unfold day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade in so many minority communities around the country. None of this is new. All of this has been and continues to fester until, as Langston Hughes said in our opening quote there, until it explodes. Well, it exploded last night in Minneapolis. Eight months after that 1967 uh, press conference, by the way, in Miami, Chief Headley repeated the looting phrase during a riot that occurred parallel to the August 1968 Republican National Convention held in Miami Beach that year. The uh, three-day riots began with the police incursion into what organizers described as a mass rally of concerned black people and ended with the police killing of three people and the wounding of 18 more. Headley, according to his New York Times obituary when he died a few months later, said of his officers during that uh, riot, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So, of course, our similarly racist president thought it was a fantastic idea to repeat that phrase on Thursday night, even as Minneapolis and much of the rest of the nation was exploding. On Friday, even the right wing militia group, the Oath Keepers, condemned Trump's tweet. The group tweeted, this is a disaster. President Trump needs to retract that statement ASAP, stating that he misspoke and did not mean to say that National Guard should shoot people for stealing. Needless to say, Trump has not retracted his statement. He has only doubled down in the hours since. The ACLU said that Trump's tweet was, quote, hypocritical, immoral and illegal and called on the National Guard and law enforcement, quote, to comply with the law, not with President Trump. Well, state officials uh, did not comply with the law or, in fact, the U.S. Constitution early on Friday. A CNN crew was arrested while giving a live television report 
Friday morning, as the crew covered the ongoing pro- uh, protests in Minneapolis, state police detained CNN correspondent Omar Jimenez, his producer and his photojournalist, shortly after 5 a.m. As Jimenez was reporting live from a street south of downtown near where the police precinct building was earlier set ablaze. Jimenez could be seen holding his CNN badge while reporting, identifying himself as a reporter, telling the officers that the crew would move wherever officers needed them to move. An officer nonetheless gripped Jimenez's Jimenez's arm and then put him in handcuffs. Jimenez says, we can move back to where you like. We are live on the air here. Put us back where you want. We're getting out of your way. But he was led away by police nonetheless. The Minneapolis State Patrol said about the incident that, quote, in the course of clearing the streets and restoring order, four people were arrested by state patrol troopers, including three members of a CNN crew. The three were were released once they were confirmed to be members of the media. Well, CNN disputed the state police characterization in a statement saying this is not accurate. Our CNN crew identified themselves on live television immediately as journalists. Meanwhile, CNN's Josh Campbell, who was also in the area but not standing with the on-air crew, said that he, too, was approached by police, but he was allowed to remain. He said, I I identified myself. They said, "Okay, you're permitted to be in the area. He said, I was treated much differently than Jimenez was. Well, as it turns out, Josh Campbell is white. Jimenez is black and Latino. CNN said in a statement shortly after the arrest that a CNN reporter and his production team were arrested this morning in Minneapolis for doing their jobs despite identifying themselves, which they called a clear violation of First Amendment rights. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz told CNN that he deeply apologizes. After the uh, crew was freed, uh, he said, we have got to ensure that there is a safe spot for journalism to tell the story. The troopers were clearing the area of Waltz's uh, at Waltz's direction, uh, adding that there was uh, Waltz said, adding that there was, quote, absolutely no reason for the journalist's arrests and that he takes full responsibility. CNN political analyst Bakari Sellers said to anyone who says, quote, all you have to do is comply. All you have to do is use your nice inside voice and the police will leave you alone. Well, we have a white reporter on the ground, he said, and we have a brown reporter on the ground. They are a block apart. The brown reporter is arrested. The white reporter is telling us what is happening. So Americans around the country are justifiably furious about all of this. Protesters uh, were 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 out in Columbus, Ohio. They turned out for demonstrations that began peacefully but turned violent. They blocked uh, the intersection of key streets in the Ohio Capitol for hours, according to the Columbus Dispatch. In Phoenix, hundreds rallied in downtown Phoenix to demonstrate against the death of George Floyd. Protesters marched from Phoenix City Hall to the state capitol on Thursday night into Friday morning, carrying signs reading, Silence is violence, and being black should not be a death sentence. By the way, in all of the demonstrations that I have seen over the past 24 hours, it was black and white people alike who are out there marching in protest, just to just to be clear, in case our president hasn't noticed. In Denver, 
Protesters blocked traffic, smashed vehicles while running from gunfire and police tear gas. Hundreds of demonstrators stood in the downtown streets and chanted as darkness fell outside the Colorado State Capitol, where protesters spray-painted graffiti. Police in riot gears fired gas canisters, used rubber bullets. In New York, protesters defied New York's prohibition on public gatherings and staged a chaotic rally in Manhattan where they faced off with officers enforcing social distancing rules. Scores of demonstrators, some wearing masks, some not, marched through the streets chanting, I can't breathe and waving signs with slogans including police brutality and murder must stop. A mayor in Petal, Mississippi, whose remarks about the death of George Floyd sparked outrage, is resisting calls to resign, including from his own town's board of aldermen. He tweeted, why in the world would anyone choose to become a police officer in our society today? He tweeted that the day that the four Minneapolis police officers were fired after killing Floyd in a follow up tweet. He then uh, the, the Republican mayor directly referenced the Floyd case, saying, quote, he didn't see anything unreasonable. If you can't if you can say you can't breathe, you're breathing. Most likely that man died of an overdose. Police are being crucified, he said. And in Louisville, Kentucky, overnight, at least seven people, seven protesters were shot as hundreds of protesters converged on City Hall, demanding justice for Breonna Taylor, a black woman who was fatally shot in March by police who broke down her apartment door. But who shot those protesters? Well, that remains a mystery at this hour, one which we will pick up after a break here as I'm joined by Kentucky U.S. Senate candidate Mike Breuer. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As noted, overnight protests on Thursday night and Friday morning in response to the police killing of African-American George Floyd in Minneapolis were not contained to only the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. Similar protests exploded in cities across the nation prior to Friday's arrest of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was seen in disturbing videos of the unarmed Floyd's arrest reportedly for the use of a counterfeit bill with his knee on Floyd's neck as the handcuffed 46-year-old security guard is seen struggling for air and begging for help before tragically dying in police custody. Moreover, those protests were not only in response to the killing of Floyd. Protests in Louisville, Kentucky overnight focused on the police killing of 26-year-old African-American emergency medical technician Brianna Taylor, who was shot dead in her own apartment 
during an overnight narcotics raid on March 13. Her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, said to have been frightened when the police knocked down the door to their apartment, said that he fired once at the officers as they were breaking through the door, not knowing that they were police officers. Taylor was struck in uh, some of the gunfire and killed in her hallway. Just after midnight on Thursday night, uh, Friday morning, Louisiana. Just after midnight on Thursday night, Friday morning, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher tweeted a short video from Taylor's family urging protesters to go home, stating that the family appreciated the support and asking protesters to continue to keep fighting the fight, but to do so in a peaceful way. The post-midnight message from the family came amid reports that seven people were shot during the protests in Louisville. Seven people were struck by gunfire on Thursday night, according to The New York Times, as tensions there continue to escalate over the fatal shooting of a black woman by three white police officers in March. Of those reported injured in the demonstrations, two were taken for surgery. Five were said to be in good condition, according to the mayor. Mr. Fisher, Mayor Fisher, said no officers discharged their weapons and that the violence came from within the crowd. Videos posted on social media appeared to show shots being fired while demonstrators surrounded a police vehicle. No officers were among those injured, and it was too early to determine who was responsible, according to Louisville Metro Police Department. Protesters had gathered in the streets to call for accountability in the fatal shooting of Taylor, chanting, no justice, no peace, prosecute police. Jesse Holliday, a spokesperson for the police department, said the gathering began peacefully but escalated to involve assaults on officers and property damage before the shooting. Mayor Fisher said, I feel the community's frustration, the anger, the fear, but tonight's violence and destruction is not the way to solve it. On Facebook, Taylor's sister wrote, do not succumb to the levels that we see out of the police. Speak protest, but do not resort to violence. Councilwoman Keisha Dorsey, according to Louisville's Courier-Journal, said, this is not a riot, it's a revolt against a system in which people have felt oppressed. To me, the march is not an ask, she said, it's a demand for change. What we're seeing tonight is people demanding change. Her comments, however, came before the shooting of seven protesters who, according to videos that I was able to see overnight and this morning, included both black and white protesters. As we go to air today, it's been difficult to find out more information on that shooting and those victims. Joining us now from Kentucky is Mike Breuer. He is running for the Democratic U.S. Senate nomination in the Bluegrass State. He is a farmer, teacher, and retired Marine Corps lieutenant colonel running in the state's June 23rd Democratic U.S. Senate primary in hopes of ousting the Kentucky's, uh, Kentucky's longtime Republican U.S. Senator and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell this November. There are currently some 10 candidates vying for the Democratic nomination to take on McConnell this year, including another U.S. Marine Lieutenant Colonel, Amy McGrath, seen by many as the frontrunner to take on McConnell in the Bluegrass State after losing her 2018 bid for a U.S. House seat there. She is uh, certainly the most well-funded Democrat in the state, 
But according to reporting by Louisville Public Radio Station WFPL, the progressive Breuer, who was recently endorsed by Indivisible Kentucky and a number of other Indivisible chapters across the state, is currently believed to be splitting the progressive vote in the contest with another progressive, Louisville State Rep. Charles Booker, who is also jostling for the nomination. Breuer, a strong supporter of universal basic income, has also been endorsed by former Democratic presidential nominee Andrew Yang, whose call for a UBI system was also a top issue in his campaign for the nomination there. Mr. Breuer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Breuer, thanks for joining us today on the broadcast. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Please call me Mike. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we're, we're all a little bit, it's a mouthful to say Lieutenant Colonel Breuer, but it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And thanks for the very, opportunity. Very good. I'll, I will go with Mike. Uh, there has been uh, quite a lot going on in Kentucky over the past uh, several days and weeks, which I had originally hoped to discuss with you when we booked you a day or two ago. But given the overnight events on Thursday, we necessarily may need to change the planned focus of our conversation a bit, though I still hope we're able to, uh, to ask you about the upcoming elections. But first, I'm hoping to get your response to both the protests and the violence that broke out in Louisville on Thursday night. And if you've been able to learn anything more about these still, I guess, mysterious shootings at that protest, where at least one of the victims, as I understand it, is still believed to be in critical condition. Well, this is one of those situations where you're you go to your local news source and you keep refreshing, hoping to see some kind of explanation for what happened. And as of moments before coming on your show, there appeared to be the the shooting still appeared to be a mystery, and it's it's astounding with hundreds of witnesses and hundreds of cameras of you know cell phone cameras that no one has any idea where these shots came from. So uh, I wish I could uh, shed some light on that for you, but but I. You know, I don't. I know just as much as you mm-hmm. do about the shooting, but uh, you know, I'll tell you the that I think this image for me last night, though, mm-hmm. and whether you you may have seen it or not, um, a uh, law enforcement officer was uh, separated from the rest of his fellow law enforcement officers, and he was surrounded by a group of, of protesters mm-hmm. protecting him, mm-hmm. ensuring that he remained safe, and it's a powerful image seeing him backed against the wall with people, white and black, putting their bodies between him and some very, very angry people. And he walked away from that unharmed. A very, very dangerous situation. And I think for me, that is that reflects the message of uh, Breonna Taylor's family. And I think that it showed the very, very best side of the people of Louisville. There was uh, one arrest today, uh, I mentioned, of the uh, Minneapolis police officer uh, who was seen with his knee on George Floyd's neck. Do you expect any similar arrests of the cops responsible for killing uh, Breonna Taylor in her own home in the middle of the night in, uh, in Louisville after that no-knock warrant was, uh, was served and her door was apparently kicked down in the middle of the night? I do, I do. I think that, um, you know, I'm happy that the, that the FBI is on this and I think that, uh, you know, despite what's happening in Washington with the, you know, at the top of the Department of Justice, I have confidence that the, uh, that the you know, local FBI special agents are going to quickly come to the root of this. And, I, and what I think we're going to find out, just like the situation in Minnesota, mm-hmm. where we find out now that there was a relationship between uh, the victim, between uh, George Floyd and the officer shown in the picture, 
Um, I, I, from what I'm hearing from my friends in uh, in Louisville, there's a long-standing beef between uh, one of the officers involved in breaking in Breonna Taylor's door mm. and her uh, boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. And the fact that all charges have been dropped against Walker are very, very indicative of uh, of the fact of the direction that I'm guessing this investigation is going to go. Yeah, he was arrested uh, and and charged quickly, and that that has since been dropped since the nine one one call was released from him, where he was obviously distraught at what had happened there. Uh, but you know, he was arrested quickly, and uh, Mike, when you, when you say that there will be a quick charges, you're confident that the FBI is in there. This shooting was in uh, what mid mid March. Uh, if there are to be any arrests, they're not happening that quickly. No, no. Well, the investigation was, I think, slow in starting, mm-hmm. and 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 frankly, I don't think it made it to the real public consciousness until the beginning of May. I mean, that's when you really started seeing seeing reporting and and the and the and the, the, the true story behind this coming out to include uh, the affidavit mm-hmm. that was filed uh, by law enforcement officers to get the um, you know to get the warrants to go to Taylor's house. The no uh, knock the uh, warrants, yeah. Yes, yeah. Which is which is is one of the most dangerous things you can possibly imagine. That in the middle of the night you are in your home, sound asleep. And someone uses a battering ram to blow your door down. And you know, Kentucky is a Second Amendment state. Mm-hmm. Kentuckians are proud of uh, you know of their castle doctrine. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there's an old saying that people pass around here. You know, in his own, you know in his own home, no Kentuckian need ever run. And so, but that apparently doesn't apply when you're an African American man in Louisville. But I think, I, and and it is cold comfort to say justice is coming. But you know. Justice delayed is justice denied. And so I, I'm just sorry it took as long as it did for this information to come out to produce the 911 tapes, to produce the, you know, the, the, uh, even the affidavit mm-hmm. to get the warrant was very, very slow in coming out. But it's in the light of day now, and uh, I, I think that uh, confident that, that there will be arrests in this case, too. I know Kentucky, uh, the, the state where the great Abraham Lincoln was born, uh, has a, a long history of... Uh, frankly, racial violence, institutionalized racism in many respects. And we saw this week in the appalling protests in response to Democratic Governor Andy Bashir's coronavirus restrictions. We, we seem to see uh, 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 a shadow of that long history, uh, that protest by right wing lockdown and gun rights protesters on Sunday included the governor being hanged in effigy outside the state capitol in Frankfurt, where a, uh, a likeness of Bashir was strung up from a tree. Has there been any accountability for that? Should there be any accountability for that? If so, I'm wondering uh, what kind. And, and do you regard that as a still continuing legacy of uh, institutional racism in the state, even though the, uh, the current governor is white? Oh, absolutely. You, you can't deny the image. On the face of it, it's a white man with a rope and a gun. And, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a white male, even the significance is not, you know, it's not lost on me. Mm-hmm. We had 168 documented lynchings in the in history of Kentucky, 168. Mm-hmm. And that, that is still an open wound with uh, African-Americans here in Kentucky. And so that image, um, even though it was um, 
you know, even though it was Governor Bashir's image that they hung an effigy, mm-hmm. it's still a white man with a rope and a gun saying, this is how we do justice in Kentucky. And that does not reflect, it does not reflect the true, the true nature of most people in Kentucky. You know, this, this guy, you know, you ask if there's any justice. Uh, this guy was quickly identified. He's a member of these three percenters militia group. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't hide anything these days. And immediately, uh, people doing the research on social media, there he is flashing white power hand signals. So mm-hmm. this is, uh, the message is very, very clear what they're, they're trying to send. This is terrorism. It's, it's, it's intimidation. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that the uh, governor showed incredible poise when they were not, you know, when they were on the porch of his house with uh, his wife and children in the building. And, uh, you know, the, the, but the thing is, Brad, is that this, this starts at the top. When the president of the United States, things like when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. You know, that's, that is the message in these these. These three percenters, these people who self-styled patriots, um, you know, tromp around the woods and mismatch camouflage. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what they're waiting for. This is the kind of chaos they're waiting for. We don't know where those shots came from last night. And, uh, you know, I, I'm having a hard time separating them in my head. Yeah, I am, too. Uh, you say that uh, you, you describe the hanging of, of this effigy of the Governor Bashir as terrorism should those responsible for it be uh prosecuted as uh making a terroristic threat i think so i think but i think that they'll ultimately be you know i I think that they will probably get off um because they're expressing the expressing their first amendment rights you know i think that's i think that's probably the what their defense will be um of course it's all about intent right right you don't have the uh, the right to make a, a a terroristic threat to my knowledge right you know, it's my impression or other people's impression of terrorism, whether you can prove in a court of law or not. I mean, I think I know in my heart what their intentions was, but I can't see inside someone else's. So, you know, they'll say it was their first their First Amendment right, but I'm more concerned with uh, the potential for violence because these three percenters, this is what they think about. This is what this is their obsession. You know that there's going to be chaos, and this is when you know that that mythical good guy with a gun mm. is going to you know this kind of Ayn Rand ridiculous world that they live in and uh frankly when the when the dog whistling starts at the very very top of our government it it causes a scary situation we're speaking with mike breuer he is a farmer a teacher retired marine corps lieutenant colonel he is running for the democratic nomination for the u.s senate to take on mitch mcconnell in the bluegrass state this year Uh, mike we had uh, initially hoped to speak with you about the right way to open up the state of kentucky uh, and other states as uh, others have uh, been uh, seeing increased hospitalizations after beginning to reopen business and i saw a report uh, this morning that kentucky is now seeing record hospitalizations from the coronavirus itself. What can you tell us about how the state is proceeding in that regard, and are, are they on the right and, and safe path, setting aside the, the, the protests uh, overnight, which obviously uh, you had protesters unable to maintain social distancing during those protests? Well, I think, I think overall the state has been on a very, very good track. And up until just this week, we compared very, very favorably to our neighbor Tennessee to the south, which had no social distancing laws. But, uh, you know, the people were just so itching and ready to get out. And, and we've had, you know, 
<laughs> pastors killing their congregants mm-hmm. by, by bringing them to church and things like that. And of course, this is kind of the genesis of these protests in Frankfort, Kentucky, our, our state capital. But the sun, I, the I, Sunday, just to, to clarify, the Sunday protests by those right wingers you're talking about. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's it's hard to argue sense with people who do not understand or refuse to understand math and science. I mean, <laughs> viruses is a parasite. You know, it's <laughs> we've known about their existence for almost you know a hundred years. We've known how to fight pandemics uh, since you know we learned the hard way, nineteen eighteen, nineteen nineteen, through social distancing and sanitation. That you know how you fight these things is not anything new. And the fact that people are are willing to ignore the science, and again, uh, all the way up to the President of the United States, people who are willfully ignoring the science and the math behind, you know, transmission, infection, hospitalization, and death. You know, if they were, if they want to ignore the math, I don't know how else you can argue with them. Has your uh, your esteemed senator, um, Senator McConnell, uh, has he been back in the state? Has he been, uh, you know, d- dealing with constituents on this matter? I know that he recently said, oh, he'll wear a mask even if Donald Trump won't. But how is he presenting that back home where these 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 protests are ongoing? Is he uh, supportive of the Democratic governor? Is he supportive of the Republican majority uh, legislature there? What what are you hearing? from McConnell back home. Oh, well, Mitch doesn't show up back here in Kentucky too much. You know, he uh, the only time that I know of that he's actually surfaced in Kentucky, he was actually here back at the beginning of the pandemic with uh, Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, mm. to uh, celebrate the elevation of a uh, judge rated unqualified by the ABA to uh, the second uh, circuit court, mm-hmm. second highest court of land. So that's the last time I knew he actually surfaced in public here in Kentucky. No, no, no. He's he's the one who said uh, let the let the states go bankrupt, yeah. and he was talking specifically about Kentucky. Mm. So yeah, he not a lot of support uh, for our governor. You put out an ad last month, speaking of Brett Kavanaugh, uh, in which you slammed. Amy McGrath uh, for flip-flopping on her position regarding the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh after she had initially said she opposed Kavanaugh's nomination uh, when he was alleged by a, uh, a number of women to have committed sexual assault in high school and college. But when recently asked if she would have voted for him, for his confirmation in the U.S. Senate, she said that, uh, I believe she said, yes, she would. Now, she has since backtracked on that, but your ad uh, ends with a pretty rough charge, Mike, uh, calling for voters to stand against Brett Kavanaugh and Amy McGrath. Ouch. Uh, Amy McGrath, of course, being a Democrat that you were running against in the primary. Uh, now, politics, of course, ain't beanbag, as they say. And she did flip-flop uh, somewhat unimaginably there. But uh, would you stand with her against Mitch McConnell if she actually wins the uh, June 23rd primary? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support whoever is uh, whoever comes out of the primary. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I will. I, I, uh, because... I. I see. Uh, I see McConnell as, a, as an existential threat to our republic, um, and uh, while I I disagree heartily with uh, Lieutenant Colonel McGrath on many things, uh, she would still be better than 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 Mitch McConnell. So yes, and I, and you know honestly, you said politics ain't beanball, but the truth of the matter is, is people need to be reminded. Um, you, you know the the intention out of Washington Democrats was that 
people didn't even know there was a primary here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was only until, you know, it was only until I picked up uh, endorsements from um, the Indivisibles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I started picking up a series of Indivisibles, and then finally got the Kentucky chapter of Indivisible. Marianne Williamson um, from out in your neck of the woods <laughs> uh, endorsed my campaign. Well, don't blame me and for then, Marianne uh, Williamson, but okay, go ahead. I take your point. <laughs> no, but 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 she was she was drawn you know she was drawn to the message of my campaign of social mm-hmm. and economic justice, and and then of course you know just last week um, with the endorsement of Humanity Forward and Andrew Yang, mm-hmm. um, it, that's kind of made it hard for people to you know deny the fact that there's actually a primary here in Kentucky. But that was the intention the whole time. You know, McGrath was recruited by by Chuck Schumer and the Washington Democrats. They put their finger on the scale every inch of the way in this race. And uh, mm-hmm. so I hit her hard because people, particularly people outside of the state who have sent her records amount of money, um, and they need to be reminded of who, who Amy McGrath is. Well, then why should uh, voters support you now that, now that some actually know you're in the race, uh, Mike Breuer? Why should uh, voters support you over Marine Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath? She, as you note, has the support from D.C., the Democratic establishment in her run, and reportedly a whole lot more money in her coffers uh, to boot. But why would they be a better, uh, why would it be a better choice to select you? Why would you be a better candidate to take on Mitch McConnell? Well, um, first of all, those reasons you listed are good enough reasons for me not to vote for her. But if we need more, I mean, if 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 it's just electability, I'm the candidate. I, I'm I'm a retired lieutenant colonel as well. That is what mm-hmm. Amy ran on in 2018. You know, that was the whole. Everything was I'm a marine. Vote for me. Mm-hmm. And around here, you know, my wife's a retired marine too. And so around here. Being retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel just means it's your turn to take out the trash or mow the lawn. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but, but no, it's being a veteran is, is very, very, very important here in Kentucky. But I'm also a public school teacher. You know, I taught at, I taught at Berkeley, my last assignment in the Marine Corps. I taught at Cal, mm-hmm. but I'm a substitute teacher here in the wintertime when it's, you know, too cruddy to, to farm. So I, I mean, I know what's going on here. I was a rural journalist. I, I was the editor of the third oldest newspaper in Kentucky for three years. Mm. And I wrote and I learned how to communicate progressive ideas to to basically religious conservative people. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to do that. And uh, it, you got to be right. You got to be patient and you can't talk down to people. And I can do that. And of course, you know, the most important thing probably for you know the heart of Kentucky is, is I'm a farmer. My wife and I have been farming here for the last 15 years and we know what it is like to struggle on a farm and try to support your family. What is it, would you say, makes you, uh, specifically makes you a better choice for progressive voters than, uh, th- than Amy McGrath? What, what are the uh, more progressive policies that uh, you believe in that she does not? Well, ask, you know, uh, here's a great indicator. You know, in 2018, when, when McGrath ran for uh, the 6th Congressional District, which mm-hmm. is Lexington, against Andy Barr and lost, um, you know, she described herself as the most progressive, furthest left person in Kentucky. And now she's come out as this kind of self-styled pro-Trump moderate. Frankly, I like the old Amy better. But, I mean, if you ask her about uh, in, in 2018, she, for example, she was on Emily's, Emily's list. Mm-hmm. And she's no longer on Emily's list because she's backed off her support for uh, women's reproductive rights, women's reproductive health. You know, you cannot get a straight answer. You'll hear a story about being raised Catholic and being married to a Republican. This is not an answer. 
uh, ask about guns. I'm a, I'm a mom's demand action gun sense candidate of distinction. And, uh, she talks about, you know, going into combat with a pistol strapped to her chest and a 20 millimeter cannon in the nose of her, of her fighter. And, uh, on, you know, and these are, these are hard issues, but this is Kentucky. I mean, uh, abortion and guns are the two real hot button issues in, in Kentucky. And she's chosen to go to the, you know, squishy middle ground and not talk about them. Whereas I am more than happy. Uh, she, you know, she, she doesn't uh, have a strong economic or environmental plan. Um, she doesn't know anything about universal basic income, doesn't support it, thinks it's a giveaway. And so, um, yeah, there's, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a long, long list of things she and I disagree with about. Very quickly, uh, do you support the Green New Deal? Do you support Medicare for All? Well, I'll tell you, I, 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 the Green New Deal is a lengthy document. And one thing in there that's kind of a poison pill for me is uh, guaranteed jobs. Because I, uh, I just can't see forcing people to come to work at some federal job to get something that is rightfully theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm an advocate instead uh, for universal basic income. But um, I, I have what's called a uh, just transition uh, to a green economy mm-hmm. plan. And I've actually been working with, you know, there's eight Appalachian coal producing states. And I've already reached out to candidates in West Virginia and Tennessee who are very progressive um, to take all of Appalachia, not just Kentucky, but all of us, go to D.C. as a block and say, this is what we're going to do. And we turn all of Appalachia into a green energy hub for the eastern half of the United States. And uh, with that, we'll build the infrastructure and bring the jobs and, uh, you know, the, the, the jobs and the infrastructure that people need so they can live their lives. To include, it's probably something that's hard to imagine, but, I mean, like, rural broadband is non-existent. That's something mm-hmm. that people need to live in this century. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are all kinds of projects that I want to do, large-scale infrastructure projects, but the key to them is uh, reclaiming all of our surface mines and subsurface mines and turning all those areas that are now an environmental and uh, economic wasteland into a thriving, producing part of our country. So a farmer from Kentucky coal country who is uh, willing to see, uh, to, to see us all move beyond coal. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. And I was telling you this, I am not from coal country. Um, I live on the very, very western uh, western mm-hmm. edge of what can be called Appalachia, but this is not coal country. Uh, but but I'll tell you what, I spent, uh, I don't know if you heard the story about the Black Jewel Mine in Harlan County, um, when they had their uh, wages clawed back mm-hmm. after two weeks. They, they lost two weeks of wages. I spent a full day with them standing on the railroad tracks, stopping the trains full of coal from coming out. And those miners know that coal is not coming back. They're literally begging to be brought into a green economy. I mean, they use the words green economy. Those came out of their mouth. They want to work in wind. They want to work in solar. They want to do forest uh, uh, reclamation from areas, surface mines, that mm-hmm. you can't do anything else with them. And they want the, you know, they just want to work. They want jobs for themselves. They want to take care of their families. They're not in love with coal mining, but it's all they got. Last question, and I appreciate your time here, uh, Mike. Uh, we hear a lot about uh, McConnell not being particularly popular in his own home state, and then often that he has no chance of losing in Kentucky. Those two things do not seem to make sense, but I hear it all the time. So very quickly, is he popular, and can he be beaten this year in a state where he is said to have sort of an iron grip on the Republican Party? 
Well, he can. He can be beaten this year. And I go back to um, our our big political event of the year, um, something called Fancy Farm. People mm-hmm. can Google it. It's uh, but last year, Mitch McConnell showed up and was literally blown off the stage <laughs> by school teachers and indivisible members. I mean, the man who's known to be unflappable was uh, fully flapped, if that's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. And, I mean, literally blown off the stage. And so this is a guy known for not having anything phase him. It was fan- I was there. It was fantastic. Um, but he's incredibly unpopular here. His popularity rating is almost as low as it is in the rest of the country. And he's pl- played his hand too many times. He can't go back to coal country and say, coal's coming back, boys. It would be a rough ride out of Harlan County if he tried to play that one. You know, and now with the economy in the tank, um, parachuting in pork at the last minute, which he's very well known for, particularly as with his wife being the you know, Secretary of Transportation, makes it infinitely more easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, people aren't, aren't going to buy it. It's time for some really, really good progressive ideas. You ask how I'm going to beat him. Uh, you have to win in all Kentucky. As a veteran, as a teacher, as a farmer, uh, that cuts a pretty wide swath across almost all of Kentucky. And you have to be able to, you know, I've got some pretty, some pretty visionary plans, you know, what America should look like when we're done with this pandemic, but you've got to be able to, to, to back it up with plans. And uh, I've got plans <laughs> that uh, people will get tired of reading because I've been able to engage some really, really talented experts in helping me craft them. For example, my universal basic income plan mm-hmm. was, uh, was co-written with a guy named Scott Sands who writes for the World Economic Forum, and he's a UBI expert. And here's a guy, you know, so instead of saying I'm for UBI, I'm for UBI, but I got a plan. And there's meat on the bones. There you go. You can get tired of reading those plans at Mike4KY.com. That's his uh, campaign website. You can follow him on the Twitters at Mike4KY. Mike Breuer is a farmer, teacher, retired Marine Corps lieutenant colonel, now running... In the June 23rd Democratic U.S. Senate primary in Kentucky uh, for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate to take on Mitch McConnell this November. We wish you great luck in the days ahead, uh, uh, Mr. Lieutenant Colonel Mike. I really appreciate you joining us on today's broadcast. It was absolutely my pleasure. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you, sir. Okay, let's take a quick break. We've got just a few minutes left here. Uh, Hi, Desi Doyen. Haven't gotten to say hello to you all day. I know. That's okay. But you know what? Let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll say hello to you some more, (laughs) and maybe even make fun of you a little. As long as you got the chance. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. No, I suspect Desi Doyen, it is not easy being green, uh, you know, calling for the end of coal in Kentucky when you're running in a statewide U.S. Senate election. Oh, certainly not. But I think that he brings up a good point that it's time to help coal country transition. And you can't transition unless you actually try. And it is also not easy sometimes 
for you being green with your green news report as we learned this week. Now, there's a reason why we uh, pre-record our green news report. Uh, a couple of reasons. Well, one, we got to fit it into six minutes because it's played on radio stations around the country. It's got to be six minutes. Uh, and also we have to get it out earlier in the day. Then we have to get the broadcast out. So we often do it, uh, you know, earlier in the morning. Also, uh, every now and again, we have to do a retake <laughs> as we had to on our previous Green News report in a story about India that ended up sounding uh, correctly like this. In other news, the plague of locusts that has been devastating crops in eastern Africa, the biggest invasion of desert locusts in 30 years, has now officially spread into India. Officials on Monday announced that nearly 150,000 acres of crops have already been destroyed across seven states. Scientists say the climate crisis is partly to blame, bringing unusually warm temperatures and intense rainfall that triggered the very specific conditions required to create create a swarm of this magnitude. A swarm the size of a square kilometer eats as much food as 35,000 people do in a single day. So that was the story as it aired on our latest Green News report. But that was not how you wrote it originally, <laughs> is it, Desi? Nope. And uh, sometimes now I never know what it's going to sound like until Desi actually does her Green News report. And, you know, I heckle her throughout. Here's how she wrote the end of that story originally. A swarm the size of a square kilometer eats as much as 35,000 people in a single day. People? <laughs> no, locusts do not eat 35,000 people in a single day. They eat as much as 35,000 people. And I think I figured out what you were trying to say. Yes, I just had missed a little word there. But kind I, of important word. Kind of important and... <laughs> It was as I was trying to figure out what the hell you could possibly be talking about. It took us about thirty minutes thereafter to stop laughing, stop <laughs> giggling yeah. about the idea of these. These must be monster locusts eating as much as thirty-five thousand people in a single day. Yeah. <laughs> ah, well. That's why we uh, pre-record that one, I guess, and for the other reasons I mentioned. Anyway, thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, okay, we have to get out. I needed a laugh to yes. end this day. It's just been one of those days. All right, thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, thanks for allowing us to laugh at you. And uh, <laughs> also my thanks to our guest, Kentucky U.S. Senate candidate Mike Breuer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to you folks who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for helping us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. Of course, Desi on the Twitters is Green News Report. Yep. You can let her know about locusts eating as much as 35,000 people there. So we'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.